Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. If you've noticed, as a nation and as a society, we love to debate things. Uh, The word debate is defined this way, a formal discussion on a particular topic. What I have noticed on a variety of news sources on a variety of topics is we've lost the ability to have a formal discussion. No matter what the topic is, news, religion, politics, or sports, there are television shows devoted to formally discuss these things. Michael Jordan or LeBron James, Tom Brady or Joe Montana. And when the topics are light like these, they can be entertaining, but inevitably they move on to more uh, personal things perhaps. Should players kneel or not kneel? Does it require more guns to keep us safer or less guns to keep us safer? Is our fuel prices this president's fault or last president's fault? What I've noticed about these discussions or debates is that the show will end with no formal resolution. I'm beginning to wonder where they, whether or not they want a formal resolution. It seems like the goal of many of these types of shows and many of these types of debate shows is to simply assign blame. And if we can assign blame, we've won the debate. It doesn't matter if there's a resolution. It doesn't matter if there's a solution at hand. Can we assign blame? And it leaves us in a position where we might ask, is there anything on which we can agree on? In fact, why is it so hard for us, not just as Americans, but uh, not just as Rosebergians? You know, I put that word into a word, and it's not a word. But why is it so hard for us as followers of Jesus Christ even to display practical unity? A unity that walks and talks outside of a Sunday morning where we are conditioned to be happy and agree and then we leave. What does it look like to practice unity? I want to remind you of the purpose of the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts verse by verse, and we find ourselves in Acts chapter 6 today. But the purpose of Acts is this. It tells how God directs the expansion of his kingdom throughout the world through a spirit-empowered church, despite, read these five words with me, internal obstacles and external opposition. Today, as we look at Acts chapter 6, we examine unity threatened. Unity threatened. As we get to Acts chapter 6, we're going to notice, if you're following in your notes, there was a dispute amongst Christians. I know that's surprising to you, but that can happen from time to time where there is a dispute amongst Christians. So let's just look at it. Acts chapter 6 in verse 1 says this, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, everyone say a complaint, by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So as the church increased, the Bible says this, as uh, 
in the days when the disciples were increasing in number. We remember that for the first couple of chapters, uh, Luke does a really good job of keeping a census, and he says 3,000 people were saved, and then 2,000, and then there's so many I can't keep track of, right? The disciples, the number of disciples were increasing in numbers, and as they increased in numbers, it gave way, it gave opportunity for those internal obstacles and external opposition. In fact, it was Solomon, the wisest man on earth, to say this, where there is no oxen, the manger is clean. Yeah, you let that sit for a second. Where there's no oxen, the manger's clean. In other words, if you are going to have oxen who are going to provide for you, who are going to work the land, who are going to have to, uh, where you can put the brunt of the physical labor on an oxen, you will have a dirty manger. You'll have to pick up stuff. (laughs) There will be food. There will be hay. It will smell. But... He goes on to say, abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. In other words, if you're going to have this type of growth in the church, if you're going to have this type of exponential growth where thousands and thousands of people are being saved, thousands and thousands of people are being baptized, occasionally you will have to deal with both internal obstacles and external opposition. So to this point in the book of Acts, Satan's attacks have come on many different fronts. He attempted many forms of direct opposition and intimidation and tried to corrupt the church from within. And so these strategies were all unsuccessful so far. So now Satan hopes to divide and conquer by raising one group of Christians against another. If you're following in your notes, the good old days were over. We can say that with Acts 5 and 6, the good old days were over for the earliest Christians. Now there's corruption, now there's disputes, now there's divisions. And how they dealt with all of these different interruptions and divisions would really make all the difference. There still was incredible growth happening in the church, and it indicates that in the early church, as people were finding the freedom in Jesus Christ, that they would would follow him. And the mention of the growth, again, reminds us that this is the early church we're talking about. But there will be times as followers of Jesus Christ, we will have to come face to face with sin, and we must do so with the spirit of God's guidance. So I need a couple of volunteers to help me out today. Um, I'm looking right down the middle. Jackson, would you mind coming up, bud? Justice, you're right in the middle too, bud. Come on up. I want to illustrate to you what was happening in the early church. Uh, Justice and Jackson are going to help us out. There will be times as followers of Jesus Christ we have to come to face to face with sin and must do it with the spirit uh, we must go forward with the spirit of God's guidance. So uh, so stand right here in between right there and then Jackson come over here and stand right here bud. Thank you man. What was happening is this. If you look in your notes it's this. There was two groups of people. There was the Hebrews and the Hellenist. Now the Hebrews were those Jews more inclined to embrace Jewish culture and they were mostly from Judea. The Hellenists were those Jews more inclined to embrace Greek culture and mostly were from all over the Roman Empire. Here's the thing. They were both Jews, but they had different perspectives, right? So uh, you want to be a Hebrew or a Hellenist? Do you care? No, no. All right. We're gonna, uh, justice is going to be the Hebrews. 
These are people that were more inclined to embrace Jewish culture, and they were mostly from Judea. So uh, Hebrews, when they looked at the Hellenists, that's Jackson, uh, the Hebrews would say, you're compromising. You're selling out. You don't honor tradition. You don't sing the hymns. Uh, you don't honor our culture. You're always changing things. Why can't you just keep things the same? Okay. Jackson is going to represent the other group uh, that we're talking about, which is the Hellenists. Now, these were still Jews, but they were inclined to embrace the Greek culture and mostly were from all over the Roman Empire. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, one of the amazing things that happened in Acts chapter 2 was this. Holy Spirit comes down. Now, think about this. This is the day of Pentecost, the feast. Uh, followers of Jesus were coming from all over the world, the known world at this time. So Jerusalem filled up with millions of people, Jewish people coming to Pentecost from all of these areas outside of Jerusalem. Many of them would be Hellenists, Greek culture, mostly from all over the Roman Empire. And they would look at someone like Justice, someone like the Hebrews, and they would say, you're old school. You're too rigid. You won't change anything. You honor traditions over scripture. You honor traditions over people. Why can't you just bend just a little bit? Right? Do you see what's happening here? Same church, same city, still Jewish people, but there was a dispute amongst the two of them. Now what ends up happening is this. There was a natural suspicion between these two groups because Satan tried to take advantage of that standing suspicion. Now, it's important to remember they had all come from a Jewish background and they all accepted who as their Messiah. Yeah, they both accepted Christ as their Messiah. So the Hellenists that embraced the Greek culture and probably looked at the Greek gods and the Roman gods uh, discounted all of that and said, we pursue Christ now. We're going to follow after Jesus. We're putting away all of those former ways that we used to believe, and we're going to follow Jesus. Uh, the Hebrews would have to put away the Torah. They would have to put away all of those things and where they, where they uh, put their faith in. And instead of saying the Messiah is still to come, the Hebrews had to say the Messiah is here. He was here. He died and he was buried and he resurrected and we were responsible for his death. They both came to the point where they accepted Jesus as their Messiah. Church, if we can agree that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the only way to God the Father, then we need to find ways to show grace on everything else that is secondary. So we have the, the Hellenist and we have the Hebrews. Um, go ahead and fight. Just kidding, just kidding. Go ahead and sit down. It's important to visualize. Go ahead and sit down. Give them a round of applause for helping out. It's important to visualize what was happening in the early church. It wasn't just this um, unnamed uh, group of people that had issues or tensions with another. This was specific people with very specific cultures, with very specific backgrounds that were trying to make sense of their newfound faith. Now there's a hint here 
of a growing division between the religious leaders and the early followers of Jesus Christ. The issue at hand in Acts chapter 6 is the care of the widows and orphans, which was an important part of Jewish life. Normally, the temple authorities organized the distribution to the needy, yet it seems that the Christian widows were not cared for by the Jewish leaders. So what was happening is this. Those from the Hellenistic background believed that the widows among the Hebrew Christians received better care. You're taking care of your own first. They're getting all of the care. They're getting the attention. The priests and rabbis go to their homes before they ever come to our homes. Um, uh, they're getting the better meals. They're getting, uh, they're getting all of the care and attention before we ever get them. Now, help me out. How many people comprise the church at this point? Thousands and thousands and thousands. Uh, theologians and historians estimate that at Acts chapter 6, we're talking about 10,000 people in a church that were all recently converted in a matter of months. So in a congregation of that size, it was inevitable that someone's needs would be overlooked. If you're following in your notes, Satan loves to use an unintentional wrong to begin a conflict. Now here's the thing. The Hebrews were right in their heart. They were doing the very best they can. The Hellenists, they were right in their facts. They were being neglected. And these were perfect conditions for a church-splitting conflict. Satan loves to use the unintentional wrong to begin a conflict. And it is a great reminder to you and I that when we uh, rush to uh, a situation where we, are been known, we have been made known about a conflict or a tension or something that doesn't seem right, it is best to approach with the spirit of forgiveness rather than a spirit of judgment. Now, a solution to the dispute is found in naming deacons to serve the church. Uh, let's, read, let's keep reading. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. The twelve summoned. Who are the twelve? What are we talking about there? The apostles. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now let's just define that serve tables for just a moment. Um, he is not... Um, this can sound... Um, demeaning or culturally insensitive. Uh, to serve tables simply meant uh, the managing and the organization of people's needs. This is the phrase that they used. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the problem wasn't specifically concerning the actual serving of food and cleaning of dining tables. Uh, this is a practical administration of the financial duties, the practical details. So the, expo the apostles explained that they should remain faithful to their central calling, which was prayer and to the ministry of the word. It was wrong for them to spend their time administrating the practical needs of the widows when there were others that could be used to do so. Now, some believe that this is kind of a, a superior attitude taken by the twelve, that they consider themselves above such work. 
This was not so. They were uh, wise in delegating these responsibilities, especially considering if there's tens of thousands of people in the church, how many practical needs needed to be worked out? How many logistics needed to be worked out? The apostles were uh, primarily supposed to pray, to study, to teach the scripture, while the others could help out with some of the other duties. Now, here's the thing. Everyone is called to do something no one is called to do everything. Let's say that together. Ready? Begin. Everyone is called to do something. No one is called to do everything. So here's the thing. You are called to do something. Maybe that's, we could spend the rest of the message right there. Everyone is called to do something. But in a healthy church, no one is called to do everything. And so for those who are in positions of teaching and preaching, uh, myself for instance, uh, it, would, uh, it would not be in our best interest if uh, some of the details of a week's worth of church activities is all handled by me. In fact, that would be a little uh, egotistical of myself. Uh, I wouldn't be smart, and then uh, I wouldn't be able to spend the time necessary to pray, to study, to unpack God's word for you. It doesn't mean that I'm above it. I shouldn't say that while I'm up there. It doesn't mean that I'm above it. It just means that everyone is called to do something. No one is called to do everything. Um, it is amazing the amount of people that contribute to a Sunday morning service in our church. I am not the first one here on a Sunday morning. That hasn't happened in a very long time. There's people that come in and make sure the heat's working. There's people that make sure. Uh, I remember last summer we came in, and uh, by the time I came to church, they had already figured out that the air conditioning wasn't working, uh, that it was going to be 90-something degrees that day, and that we needed to have service downstairs, all by the time I came to church. Uh, there's so many people that are involved in the logistical details of a Sunday morning service. Um, there's so many people that are involved every single day of the week here at church. Again, everyone is called to do something. No one is called to do everything. And so for the apostles in the early church, what ended up happening is this. If they, if they, if they attempted to do everything, the prayer ministry of their, work, of their life and the, the teaching and the unpacking of Scripture of their life would have suffered, which was not a great idea for a growing thriving new church. So everyone is called to do something. No one is called to do everything. Moses learned a similar lesson from his father Jethro. I love this story. Jethro comes to visit. He was so happy for Moses and what God had done. And in fact, you can read the story. Uh, Jethro gives him a hug and they, uh, embraces him and tells him it's amazing what God has done to lead you people uh, so far. The next day, he watches Moses, and Moses just stood there or sat there listening to the complaints of the people. Millions and millions of Israelites and all their complaints, and Moses would sit there, and he would listen, and they would line up, and Moses would hear each side of the story, and then he would give his wisdom, his advice, and he would make a judgment on who's right and who's wrong and what needed to be done. And Jethro said, this is stupid. <laughs> he said, you're leading a nation. This stinks. 
This is not a good thing. You're going to wear yourself out. You need to stay focused on the most important things. You need to appoint leaders that can be under you, and you need to equip them and empower them. We are so blessed to have gifted and willing people that serve the needs of our church on a weekly basis. And the fact that the apostles busied themselves with the prayer and the ministry of the word shows how energetically they did those things and how consuming it is to do those duties. So this is what happens. The disciples spoke to the larger group of believers and worked out a solution with a great deal of communication and involvement from the crowd. Uh, They even asked those, especially those who felt wrong, to suggest the people who would be good for this work. This is a wonderful, amazing thing. Uh, They didn't throw the complainers out. I've been a part of churches in the past where if you complain, you just were showing them the door. They didn't divide into two congregations. They didn't shun the unhappy people. They didn't form a committee and have endless meetings to discuss the problem to death. No doubt someone simply suggested to the apostles that we should give more attention to these widows that were being neglected. They delegated, they brought more people in to do the ministry of the work. Here's the thing, the more people doing the ministry of the work, the more uh, healthy the church is, the more successful a church is, that is, this is how the church should operate. One of the beautiful things that happened uh, during the pandemic um, was that, um, that uh, we, we, figured, uh, we figured people needed to reach out to one another. And it was kind of this organic idea that we said, well, let's have our church call on each other because there's only so many pastors on staff, there's only so many elders that we have. What if we had the church calling on people? And it was amazingly beautiful to see our church just minister to one another. In fact, most of the ministry in our church should be horizontal, one to another, rather than vertical, just from pastors or elders or teachers down to others. It should be horizontal. The apostles cared significantly more about their inner qualities than their external appearance or image when they looked to appoint people. The idea behind being full of the Holy Spirit, we read that phrase when they looked for men, was that they wanted people to be spiritually minded and practically minded. Um, There's a phrase uh, my my pastor growing up would say, um, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. So they wanted people that were both spiritually minded and practically minded. So they asked the congregation to nominate. These seven would be chosen to administer the, the, the logistics, the practical duties. They needed to be a good reputation. They needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. They had to be people that the church family felt confident in. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. What they said pleased the whole gathering. I think Luke recorded this because for the first time, uh, there was a unanimous vote in the early church. We can't say this was a good decision only because the people liked it, but God confirmed the wisdom through the agreement of the people. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And this is who they chose. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn about him in the upcoming weeks. They chose Philip. Um, They chose Prochorus and Nicanor, Timon, not that Timon, a different Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. I just want to share something quickly about when we read a list of names in Scripture, 
It can be difficult. First of all, I'd encourage you to do it out loud. Um, just to be able to hear yourself pronounce them. Uh, or open up your Bible app, go to that verse, hit the little play button on the bottom, and see how it's pronounced by others. That'll help you. Um, it does beg us the question, why does Scripture list these names? Uh, Libby and I are trying to read through the Bible chronologically together this year, and boy, those first few weeks, man, we got into Numbers and Leviticus, and I thought, what are we doing? And it's just name and name and name and name and name, and, and most of those names we'll never see again. Most of them have no other narrative influence on Scripture or importance. You're never going to remember those names. Why can't we just skip the names? Um, I think it's a beautiful thing that God doesn't skip names. I think it's a beautiful lesson to you and I that people matter, that people count. Now, for me, it means he doesn't skip my name, he doesn't skip your name. Second, with a little bit of study and a little bit of attention, there's something beautiful that emerges in lists. Look at these lists again, and we're going to read them together, all of these names. Ready? Begin. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Here's the thing. If you look at these names, the seven all had Greek names, indicating that they were probably with Jackson, one of the Hellenists. The people showed great sensitivity to the offended party by appointing Hellenists to take care of the increased distribution. Theologians have theorized that there were more Aramaic-speaking Christians in the church than there were Greek-speaking church in the Greek-speaking Christians, but the church as a whole said this, let's elect Greek-speaking leaders to attend for this very special need in our church. Isn't it a beautiful thing? I just think it's amazing that we have these Hebrews and we have these Hellenists. And all of a sudden, the Hebrew widows are getting taken care of just fine, and the Hellenist widows are getting neglected, not, by, um, not by, um, on purpose, not by, uh, by any uh, evil um, reason. Uh, there was no um, discrimination that was on purpose. Uh, there was no conspiracy against them. They just happened to get neglected. And so as a solution to this problem, when the church decided who should appoint or who would be the appointed leaders to help fix this problem, they didn't say, well, let's get a bunch of our people. We outnumber them. We outrank them. We're better than them. We should probably be the ones in charge of serving them. The church was so sensitive enough to say, boy, if this group of people is being neglected, if they're not being cared for, we should raise up some leaders from them so that we can make sure they're getting taken care of adequately. Acts chapter 6, verse 6, we continue. It says this, These they set before the apostles, they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. It was important to lay hands on them, even if their service was mainly for the practical needs of the widows, and this is why practical service is spiritual service. Practical service is spiritual service. There's so many examples where this happens in our church. Um, in a moment, 
in a few moments, I'm not done yet, but in a few moments, uh, we'll take communion. And there is a team of ladies uh, that come early on Sundays or earlier in the week, and they take the time to pour out the juice and to put the pieces of bread. They have a little um, space there in the back with the refrigerator where they put them away, and there's a little note that encourages our ladies to, to pray over communion so that when you take it, it's a meaningful experience today. And you might think, I can't believe you have women pouring our communion and preparing for communion. Well, it's an act of service. And what a beautiful practical service that is a spiritual service for us to take communion that way. We have a group of uh, men in our church and, um, you know, during the pandemic, we weren't able to be as active, uh, but they're called a band of brothers and, um, and, and they just look for opportunities to be a blessing to people in our church. And it's a beautiful thing uh, when someone needs, uh, some, you know, if an older couple in our church or someone just needs their their yard mowed or pressure washed or their gutters cleaned. We have a group of men that'll just organize themselves and go out and be a blessing. Practical service is spiritual service. I think it's awesome that recently we did one of these projects and it was at a home of someone who used to be one of the active members of Band of Brothers. And he's just no longer physically able to be a part of that team. And now another generation of men are going out to help in that homes. Um, we're going to have a couple memorial services here soon. We'll have a service on June 6th to honor the life and memory of Lauren Hinkle. We'll have one on Saturday, June 8th, 18th uh, for Lorraine Horn. Um, and if you had the privilege of knowing either one of them, um, you'll want to be here for those services. But we'll have people who will help cook part of that meal. And they'll come early and they'll set up and they'll clean up afterwards. Uh, we have ladies that have volunteered to sign up to just be on the, um, on the coffee desk out there the, the, where, the, where you get coffee when you walk in. Just so we have a smiling face. Practical service is spiritual service. We have, uh, we have a group of men that... Um, and women, uh, men and women that volunteer to be on our security team. And during the service, there's someone right here who's just keeping an eye on the front doors of our church. And whose aim it is to keep us protected. And in light of the events of the last two or three weeks, I think you'd agree that that is a needed and warranted effort by our men and women. Uh, in fact, if 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 that is something that you would be willing to help on once a month, maybe, where you just you can still hear the service, but your eyes and your ears are attentive to what's going on outside to keep our children safe on the other end of the building, uh, to keep us safe on here, uh, and you'd like to help, write the word security on the back of your green card, and we'll get in touch with you. Um, practical service is spiritual service, and if we're not careful, we can come to church and say, well. Man, those people singing on stage, that's, that's, that's the spiritual thing happening here. 
You say, well, Daniel, Daniel's preaching. That's, he get, that's a spiritual thing he gets to do. And if we're not careful, we'll separate and we'll classify people. And then we'll start uh, putting ourselves in a hierarchy that is neither biblical, scriptural, or helpful. But when you can realize that, man, part of being a church family is understanding that there are needs and services uh, where everyone can provide something for someone. And here's the greatest example of this is Jesus Christ. Jesus showed the measure of his love by humbly washing his disciples' feet. You can go to John 13 to read that account where he showed his love for his disciples, not by preaching a message, not by leading them in worship, by, but by simply acting in the form of a servant. Practical service is spiritual service. And there is something in you. Everyone is called to do something. And there's some way God is tugging at your heart, I believe, to be of service to those around you in our community, in our church community. In fact, it's interesting because in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, uh, we don't have to turn there, but look at it in your text. Uh, the same Greek word is used for both distribution and ministry. It's the same Greek word. The idea behind the word in both places is service, whether practically or spiritually. Nowhere in this chapter of Acts are these men called deacons, but most considered they to fulfill the office first of deacon as it's described later in Scripture. And it simply means this. It simply means one who serves. In our church organization, uh, in our structure, we have a team of deacons and we have a team of deaconesses. Uh, Scott Withy leads our deacons and Rita Wicker leads our deaconesses. And it's just people who serve the needs of our church family. What happens when a threat to unity is handled with care? Let's look at one more verse and almost one more verse. Verse 7 says this, the word of God continued to increase. You say, how in the world did a, addressing a practical need allow the word of God to increase? Well, it allowed the apostles who were tasked with prayer and ministry to focus on those areas. The word of God continued to increase. And we read on and it says this, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What that means is this. There were still priests that were operating under the old Jewish law and the old Jewish system. And as they saw the practical needs of the church being met, many of those priests said, my goodness, this could only be because of the Messiah. Truly, this is the Son of God. And they became obedient to the faith. Considering all that could have gone wrong when Satan tried to attack through division, everyone here in this narrative dissolves deserves a lot of credit. Those with the complaint, the Hellenist, did the right thing. They made the need known instead of complaining and whining, and they trusted the solution of the apostles. Church family, if you are being neglected by our church, it's important that we know that. And I'm asking you as your pastor, and if you feel like you or your family just need a little bit of attention and they need a little bit of uh, service and for some reason we have neglected to do so, it is not our intent. And we would love the opportunity to serve and oftentimes we simply are not aware. And so I'd ask you to do like the Hellenist and make that need known. 
The cost is great if we don't do that. Look at Hebrews 12 on the screens. It says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Boy, if, if you feel like you're being neglected uh, and you don't address it and you keep it to yourself and you don't let other people come in to serve, to help, that root of bitterness will grow and all of a sudden your anger and that bitterness will grow and you'll fertilize it with negativity and you'll cause it to grow by withdrawing yourself and pretty soon that root will flourish and it will spring up and cause trouble. But look at the last phrase. By it, many become defiled. It won't just affect you, it'll affect those around you. Those of the party, the Hebrews also did the right thing. They recognized that the Hellenists had a legitimate need and they trusted the solution of the apostles. Church family, if you hear about someone being neglected, it's important to listen, to validate, and to bring those needs to someone who can address them. Romans says it this way, let love be genuine Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The Hellenists did the right thing. The Hebrews did the right thing. I believe the seven chosen men did the right thing. They accepted the call to unglamorous service. If it is in your power to serve, church... Recognize that your ability to meet the needs of someone in our church family, someone in our community, that practical service that you could provide is spiritual service. Romans says it this way, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I believe the apostles did the right thing too. They listened to the need, they got feedback from those involved, and they made a wise decision. My commitment to you as your pastor is this, we will listen we will advocate for you and we will serve you if there's ever a time where you are neglected. As your elders, this is our call in First Peter. We are to shepherd the flock of God that is among us, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, because we have to, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's the thing, a potentially divisive issue was diffused and the gospel continued to spread since the matter was handled with knowledge and kindness to those who were offended. Even a great many priests, the Bible says, came to faith. And men were chosen to serve to do the common things, but they were found doing uncommon things as the church of God increased. Satan has two strategies in a church. He would like to divide you or to distract you. He would like to divide us with a complaint or with something that's going on, and when that isn't going to work, he would like to distract us from the focus of our ministry. And regardless of the situation, the scenario, uh, the divide, let us commit to not be divided nor distracted from the focus of ministry God has for us. In a few moments, we're going to take communion that people have lovingly prepared for us. When we do, there's four stations, by the way, for those of you who uh, are new to our service, and uh, there'll be two cups there, and you'll have the opportunity to take it and go back to your seat. It's an opportunity where we simply get to remind ourselves of the goodness of God in our life. And as we do today, as we enter this time of worship, 
uh, as we enter this time of communion in just a few moments, I would ask that you would have this prayer, Lord, would you not divide us as a church and would you not distract us? Would you not divide us or distract us? So divide, that means that something comes up where we are going to have opposing opinions and opposing views and perhaps an opposing way of fixing solutions. And in those moments, rather than divide, we are going to come together, we're going to listen to one another, we're going to validate one another, we're going to seek the Holy Spirit's counsel, and we're going to move together with grace. We're not going to be distracted. And what we mean by that is this. There are so many things that could distract us from preaching God's word, from focusing on prayer and the needs of our church. And what we are going to commit to do as a church family is simply not to be distracted, but simply proclaim week after week after week that Jesus is the hope of a fallen world. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.